Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories. My name's Paula Kotovich. So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader. Molly Shorthouse. My name's Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear. I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, my career now uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. I led a team that negotiated a $22 million native title. It definitely taught me in my life a lot of persistence and gave me a lot of strength. We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. We're excited to bring you a very special episode of the podcast. Over the last year or more, we've been bringing you stories told by some pretty special people about their lives and their mental health. COVID-19 has taken us back to some of these people to ask them how they're doing under these difficult circumstances. In past episodes, Craig Semple told us about his career in the police force and his struggles with PTSD. My name's Craig Semple. I'm a mental health educator and advocate. Dr. Benvinda Jabrigas spoke about managing her severe depressive episodes in the context of her life as a general practitioner. My name's um, Benvinda Jabrigas. Just call me Ben, my nickname. Rugby league star and Black Dog Institute lived experience presenter Wayne Wiggum revealed the strategies he uses to manage his fluctuations moods. Uh, my name's Wayne. I've been a lived experience presenter for the Black Dog for 10 years. And Indigenous educator Paul Callaghan talked about the way he incorporates the old ways into his life to help manage his mental health. Hi there, I'm Paul Callaghan. They've all come back to tell us how they're managing during COVID-19. And as usual, they have fascinating stories to tell. We asked each of these people the same three questions and got some very interesting answers. Our first question was, how has COVID-19 affected your life? I wonder if there's resonance for you in what they have to say. Right, so before um, before COVID hit, uh, for the two years previous, I, I'd... Uh, I've been building up my business with with workplace mental health education, um, and it was going really well. You know, I was so busy. I was, I was reaching all my goals. Uh, I was traveling all around Australia, delivering all this, these these packages that um, that I deliver. And then, then overnight, uh, it was all shut down. And uh, like a lot of people, I think it took a little while for reality to sort of set in. You know, having been through a fair few adversities in my life, I, I didn't panic. It wasn't something that really, you know, flipped me out. But I do remember waking up one morning and it sort of I went through the numbers and I thought I, I actually got quite pissed off that morning uh, very early. And um, and I remember I tried to suppress it. And then I thought, no, you know what you should do? Just let yourself, allow yourself to be pissed off for one day and one day only. So I went through that whole day and I, and I allowed myself to be pissed off with the whole situation. And then... The next day, reset. Okay, what are we going to do? So it was all going back to stuff I've done 
um, many times in my life so far, um, particularly with, with my battles through mental health. And then it's just sitting down, writing out a game plan, how to, how to negotiate the whole, the whole situation, the whole challenge. Yeah, I, I, look, one of the things that this has helped me do, the, uh, you know, sort of the COVID has helped me do, is um, really have to think, um, was I getting enough life-work balance in what I was doing? Although having two weeks that I could take off every month, but, you know, being really um, very isolated um, for those substantial periods of time and just really finding that when I came back home, I felt really, really good to be at home. Um, so um, I thought, no, I'll, I'll just rebalance it. And it came at a, at a particularly good time because I didn't personally feel like I was abandoning anybody because of the fact that um, I couldn't go up there anyway. So, yeah, so maybe a bit of a poor man's excuse, but it definitely helped uh, re rejig or reset my timings. Personally, um, it has been difficult um, because although I'm, I've been very accustomed and happy to be, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, on my own at home, but the knowledge that I couldn't actually, you know, sort of go and meet a friend for coffee, and not that I do that all the time, but it is one of those um, nice things um, and with family. Um, being in Sydney, it's not that I'm seeing my family, extended family, every day or even every week, particularly when I live across, um, you know, the other side of Sydney and they live, you know, some, you know, nearly half an hour away. But we always had every couple of weeks, you know, get-togethers and things like that. So, and it's a bit isolating. Uh, after a while, after about the, the first couple of weeks didn't really affect me. After about three weeks, it just felt very lonely. Obviously, it's impacted me financially, like many people, because I'm not getting the presentations or the work that I was. But on a positive side, it's given me a rest. It's given me time to reconnect with friends and family. Um, so it's been both good and bad, but I would say just having the rest and reassessing has uh, outweighed any financial loss I've had because, fortunately, I I I'm okay to live um, week to week. I'm lucky in the fact that I have got a couple of flatmates. I have been alone when they were both away for 10 days and I did find that tough not to have uh, company around me. So I do respect for those who are living alone that this is a really, really tough time. Um, and I did struggle for that time I was by myself, just getting up and really walking around and around the house a bit <laughs> and not quite knowing who to talk to or what to do with myself. Um, so I appreciate that. But no, I, I, it's been good for me and... Um, I have got company, so it's made it fairly easy. And I do live near the beach, which also makes it easy because I can walk down, do some exercise and have a, swell, a swim very easily. So I'm very lucky in that way. When I started to see COVID, 
showing itself in terms of the news stories. I kind of watched it and thought, oh yeah, that's interesting. It's not a big deal, it won't affect me. And then it became very real over a very short period of time when my wife was laid off from her job. Because I'm a consultant and the majority of my work involves training, uh, speaking at conferences and things like that. My work was cancelled almost immediately as well once we were told we were in isolation. So having all of my work cancelled was a blessing for me because at the same time I went to the GP and the GP and I showed him a suspicious looking lump in my shin on my right leg, about three millimetres in size, so not that remarkably big. A skin cancer that led to a 30 millimetre wound when he had surgery when he had to do surgery on me a week later. So I felt very blessed and it meant that I was totally immobilized for 14 days, which is pretty hard work for someone like me who likes to walk an hour and a half every day. But out of that story came something quite interesting because I was immobilized and my leg was up on a, on a stool and I couldn't move, it turned into a major pain in my right calf and it ended up me being rushed to hospital with deep vein thrombosis. I gained an appreciation of how wonderful our health workers are. We're in the middle of a COVID crisis, but I was inside in a bed within five minutes of arriving at the hospital. A great doctor talked me through what I had, the problems I was facing, the seriousness of it, and the diagnostic and also the prognosis and also what I needed to do over the next six months in order to, to regain my health. And so it was just magnificent. So pulling all those things together, yes, COVID's impacted on my life in terms of what I've watched around the world. It's also impacted on my life in terms of freeing me up to have surgery that's probably saved my life, but in a wonderful contradiction, it almost ended my life. I've learned some really important things. So for me, COVID has been a bit of a blessing. Everyone's experience is different and everyone has their own way of coping. We asked our self-care experts how they're managing the impact of COVID-19 on their lives. Look, the main thing for me is exercise. Um, I do have to burn some energy every day. My theory is that you get so much energy to burn every day, and if you don't burn it, it can turn back on you, <laughs> which for me would be depression or uh, non-stop bad thoughts. So I've had to exercise, um, I practice positive thinking. If I do get negative thoughts, I always force two good ones in. That's something that I, I preach and have been practicing for a long time. So if the negatives do start, I identify it straight away. You know, if it tells me I'm a loser or I'm no good or the silly voices we get, I force good thoughts in. I make a choice not to think that way. I kind of say, no, it's your choice. You can either let these thoughts keep going or you can stop it now and start thinking good things about yourself. I've also been practising gratitude, you know. I'm just thankful that I have got friends and I have got family. Um, so, you know, just the little things, uh, and that's been really important to me. So it really has set me back on practising the things that I preach and that I've been practising. I've really called on them during this time. And, you know, I do say, look, without being religious, there's a serendipity prayer, which I don't pray, by, pray but... You know, I can't change this. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of it with everyone else. And I acknowledge that there's nothing I can do to change it. But I'm just in the game and I'll deal with it as it comes and I don't feel bad about it. I don't hate on myself. 
or feel guilty or bad that I can't do any more than I'm doing. And that's really important that I know my limitation, what I can do and what I can't do during this time. started getting the um, into doing a bit more of the online courses <laughs> and there was it, it's been a great initiative by a lot of the online um, educational providers um, that they've put up a lot of you know uh, free podcasts and things like that um, on different topics and so yeah so I started doing that uh, quite a bit um, but uh, but otherwise personally yeah I, I've, I've gotten through it it's it's not been devastating but it definitely has brought to the fore despite how much you think you quite happy in your own little space well with me uh, brought to the fore the extreme importance of how even um, little um, contact, you know, sort of with the outside world, particularly loved ones and friends, is so important. And not just over a screen, um, actually being able to sit on a park bench after a walk and talk to somebody with a cup, a cup of coffee. did I manage the impact? Well, I, I used it in a productive way, being locked up, no work and immobile, I used it in that way. And late last year, I was contracted by a publisher to write two new books as a flow on from my first book, Iridescence. So because the book is all about well-being based on Aboriginal philosophy and spirituality for a, for a global audience of non-Aboriginal people, I was writing all these unique chapters about being grateful and about the importance of unity and about the importance of sharing. So it enabled me to actually live what I was writing because I was in the midst of a, of a global pandemic and I was in the midst of my own personal crisis. And so what I got was a renewed appreciation of the fragility of life because as I was watching what was happening around the world and the horrific numbers and the terrible sadness of, of people going into care and, and those health workers dying as well, it reminded me of what our old people say, and that is all we have is the present. And an epiphany came upon me towards the end of the book. I was writing a section on goal setting and how important goal setting is, but it, it came to me that the Aboriginal way of seeing the world is that if our life ended on any given day, our old people traditionally would have said, I've lived a good story and I've lived a good life because for an Aboriginal traditional person, the essence of their life was living in the present and living a good life in the present rather than putting off joy to the future. So what came to me was our old people, traditionally for 100,000 years, pretty much enjoyed every hour of every day because they lived in the present and maximised what was around them. In terms of managing it, what I've also discovered, you'll hear this noise, I rediscovered my old guitar I used to play in a cafe. So I started strumming and I'm getting my fingers toughened up again. I'm actually got the microphone out and I dug out my old amps three days ago. I've been playing the guitar, but I'm actually confident enough to get back on the amps. So I've rediscovered my love of, of singing and playing. I've also rediscovered a love for the garden. And so my wife and I have been in the garden day in, day out, enjoying this magnificent autumn weather. And I've also rediscovered a love of reading and I've found out 
the joys of a, a beautiful warm bath with Spotify, fave music, with candles. Uh, all these things are just wonderful things. And in this downtime, I've been doing them basically on a daily basis. But that doesn't mean that I don't have my, my potholes in my own mental health wellbeing. And so a week ago, I was running a, a webinar, it required a six hour drive to Sydney and a three hour intense webinar that I really enjoyed. But the after effects for the next two days was I was in a state of agitation, anxiety and self-doubt. And not that I did anything wrong, but I had to really reflect and remind myself that it's okay to have these bumps in terms of agitation and anxiety, because it has been a hard month for a lot of people, including myself. And I reminded myself of the importance of flowing and accepting how I was feeling and flowing with what's around me and know that if I do have a bad hour or day in terms of mental health, that's okay. It's about looking at that and saying, what will I do with this? And not try and swim or jump out of it, just flow through it and focus on the now and not focus on how I might be feeling the next day. You know, I was, I was seeing and hearing a lot of stories of other people really struggling with it, uh, business people and individuals, and and I thought, what can you do? Is that, there's no um, there's no work for you right now, but you can still do something. So it just came back to the old fallback position that I've had, you know, with Black Dog and, and other times in my life as well, where okay, if you can't do anything with what you you know you're equipped for with your business, what can you do as a volunteer? So I sat down and I spent probably the next six weeks uh, working through a resilience package specifically targeting this whole situation. So I thought, you know, a lot of people when they're, they're hit with an adversity like this one or a challenge, um, one of the things that, that really knocks them is the fact that um, they have a fear of the unknown. They have a fear of uh, consequence and a fear of change and all these sorts of things. And, and more often than not, people, are very they don't realize just because they've never been taught it's really important to get a pen and paper out and actually work through it when you when you're stuck in these situations particularly if you're really hard hit um, because when you sit down and you work through a game plan and, and you try to come up with some solutions and, and some um, set some goals and and all those sorts of things it, it gives you an opportunity to reduce the impact of the fear because it gives you a sense that you're taking back a little bit of control on your own situation and it keeps you looking forward to the future as well. So, so I sat down, I worked through, uh, I put together about a 43 page workbook and, um, and then I just made it available for free through all the networks, through social media and, and all those sorts of things. And quite a few people have, and businesses have taken up the, the offer and, and you know, it's been some pretty good feedback from it, you know, just giving people the tools to sit down and plan their way through things. But also, so it's split into two, two groups. There's, the, there's a, the planning strategies, which is this one section, and then there's the wellbeing strategies, which is the second part of the game plan. So that's all the exercise and learning meditation and, you know, finding a way to give back and, you know, practicing gratitude and challenging negative thinking, all those things go into that as well. So I've, I've put all that into the, the planning as well so people can get a good wellbeing game plan written out. And yeah, I think it's helped. So it's given me a sense of purpose as well while, while my work's been shut down, which is huge. And also structure. 
one of the things where I struggle with a lot is if I've got no structure around my day, uh, it really messes with me. So, um, so trying to find little activities like that to provide that little bit of structure in, in my days and in my weeks, it's, it's a really big thing. And actually, I'm, I'm actually coping with the whole, the whole COVID-19 thing really well now as a result. And finally, in recognition of the fact that part of the problem with COVID is the uncertainty about the future that we're all experiencing, we asked our guests how they were each feeling about the post-COVID future and what impact they expected their experience of the pandemic would have on their own lives and their futures. There are a couple of things I'm looking forward to in terms of post-coronavirus and because I'm a person of maybe contradiction or always having two sides of the, the story, the first part is external to me. So what I'm looking forward to in terms of post-COVID is human beings around the world taking time out and learning to care for each other and to care for our planet and also focusing what's important. I've noticed in a lot of the, the stories people saying I've realised what is important now. So that's something I'm looking forward to. In terms of myself, I'm looking forward to the launch of my new book next year and the opportunity to promote Aboriginal culture and how it can improve wellbeing for us all. And just as importantly, in the immediate future, I'm looking forward to coffee and cake in a cafe. I'm really missing cafes. I'm really missing live sport, particularly the, the NRL and the AFL. And I'm also looking forward to travelling and I was hoping to get to Western Australia in the next 12 months, but judging by how many people are going to Western Australia, from what I can see on television, it will be too crowded, so I might just hang loose around home because it's pretty nice in Port Stephens too. Having now uh, a new, um, you know, sort of vision for what my work life's going to be, I'm really looking forward to see how that pans out. I am going back or trying to go back, um, although I've done quite a bit of a &E in the past, I'm trying to really uh, rewind and go back to uh, skills that I possibly haven't actively used for about, you know, quite uh, a few years now. Uh, on a personal level, um, one of the things that has, um, you know, evolved from the, the COVID time was that early on, I basically thought of the different sections of my family. I've got an extremely extended family um, and lots of cousins, but from my mother's side, from my father's side, some of them know each other, others don't, you know, the younger ones. So I decided I was going to set up groups, um, you know, like the, my, uh, my mother's family side, my father's family side, cousins that I'm, they're like sisters to me, and started up this, um, you know, connection or little group um, online and effectively we were communicating a lot through that and um, what's come out of it is that we definitely and I know it's going to happen because we've just realized how much we miss it miss miss each other when we're only phoning each other once every couple of weeks um, so we've got planned um, you know at least uh, twice a month to get 
the cousins together and just have like a book club. Um, so we're going to have our book club of family um, and that's happening on both sides and it's, it's been really good. It's, uh, you tend to sort of take for granted that people, or well, I have, um, and I, so I'm with extended families that sometimes happens and with work, that you take for granted that uh, people are still there and you just get busy and occasionally you send a text um, and it's been very diff different, actually, um, again, you know, sort of making a concerted and joint effort that going forward, we would actually get together for a walk, a bit of a picnic or whatever. How long that will last, only time will tell. Hopefully it'll be forever. <laughs>
lately. <laughs> it's not something we want to get used to, but, you know, there's been a couple of times I'm going, you know, I don't mind this. So I think for the whole thing, I, I reckon it's been not a bad little reset for, for, for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of devastation out there. and The real impact's yet to hit us, I believe. But um, but but there's been a, it's been a really good reset. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested in human behaviour and, and history. And, and I, I, I really think that we'll see when this is, you know, when this is over in particular, there will be, uh, people will appreciate what they got so much more, um, you know, particularly the younger generation coming through, which, which is, um, you know, a lot of our generations haven't faced any real serious challenges in history. And this is one, and we're actually living it. So it's actually, in, in a way, it's sort of exciting too, because I can really sit back and see how people are adapting to this. And, you know, we'll be telling stories about this down the track. So, you know, there's a lot to learn from it as well, I think. So, but as far as all the things, I'm, I am really looking forward to getting back to back to normal. And, and maybe the next time I'm caught in a traffic jam in Sydney, I'll actually enjoy it. <laughs> I know what it's like. The alternative is we're stuck in our houses. Not good. As always, it can be helpful to take a peek into other people's stories and especially to hear how they're coping with the things that we're trying to deal with ourselves. It's also helpful to know where to go if you need help yourself. The internet is full of information to help us cope with this crisis as well as lots of misinformation to lead us down the wrong path. If you need support, there are a number of reliable online places to go for information about how to manage this difficult time. Websites from reputable organisations such as Black Dog Institute and Beyond Blue have many resources to help you get through. The Head to Health website has a special COVID-19 section highlighting the reliable Australian online resources that may help. And if you're a health professional, you might like to check out The Essential Network, a Black Dog Institute initiative designed especially to support the well-being of those working on the front line of COVID-19. If you need more urgent support, please remember Lifeline on 13 one 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 four.